0: Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, y'all, it's Elizabeth and the Culture Matters crew here today. We are getting together to do kind of a Culture Matters roundup. Talk about things we're reading, listening to, thinking about. we got some really good stuff today, so I'm excited for this episode. But first of all, how are y'all doing? Adam, to Marcus and
1: Melissa. Hello. Hey.
0: Yeah, hey, how are y'all doing? Hey.
2: What up? Doing well.
3: Yeah, feeling tired and good.
1: Feeling great. Okay. We're just doing it.
3: Everybody's So welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad so to, to have be you. here. You yeah.
3: have the perfect voice for this, so I'm really pumped about that.
1: <laughs> I have been told I have a radio
3: voice. You do. I'm excited to share it today. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bless the people. Give me their wine.
0: All right, so we are going to share about some things we've been thinking about and reading in all pieces of culture, different forms of media. And so I'm going to start us off by talking to Adam. What have you been reading?
3: Yeah, I think... um I've been reading a lot about how um, and and this is not new to anybody on the show, but I've been reading a lot about how modernity is not fit for humans or maybe a better way of saying it is humans aren't fit for our current modern world that. Um, what we're all, many of us in the West are doing are, we are addicted to screens, we're addicted to immediacy, and there's information overload. And what that is producing is just, uh, a tragedy, uh, anxiety and depression at levels we've never seen before, um, and all other kinds of social ills, uh, watering down of beauty, watering down of friendship, watering down of truth, watering down of, um, anything really, uh, And so one thing I've been trying to do lately is um, cultivate a little bit better habits around media. And one of those is a magazine called Delayed Gratification. And I think I may have talked about it before, but it is a magazine, news magazine produced in the UK. Um, And it's a slow journalism kind of a thing. And what it does is it looks back at each quarter and then gives news stories based on the previous quarter so instead of the you know everybody now gets their news mainly through social media or twitter or things like that right and so it's super immediate you you basically know as it happens right and there's a lot of failures in that one there's a lot of misinformation that gets produced two there's like very little um wise analysis Uh, and usually by the time we could look at something with wise analysis, we've already moved on to the next immediate thing. So this just changes that whole shape. The great things about delayed gratification, uh, are it's, um, it's not expensive and it's also, um, has a pretty wide, uh, audience, but the bad thing about it is is that it there is a local nature to it in which some of the news is very UK centric since that's where it's produced. I find that fascinating because I'm reading about some thing that's happening with like gardens in England or something, right? But uh, I think some people will be like, wait, this isn't relevant at all. But I, I really think it's a, it's been a beautiful kind of way to think about media recently. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: When you think about some of the stories that you have read that are either things you knew about globally or even in the United States, and you look back on how was the story maybe a little different because it was told um, over time instead
3: of in this place of an immediate response? I mean, almost everything that has to do with politics, frankly, like even the way anything in COVID, think about COVID. It's like COVID information was changing daily, right? Um, Think about how out of sorts we felt around COVID. And it felt so important to have these like up-to-date moments. But if you try and look back at any of the analysis that's happening, it's so convoluted now. Whereas like in delayed gratification, it feels like a lot of the noise is turned down. And so you can actually look at some of the things that normally like an editor in a newsroom would kind of try to filter out for you or whatever and try to provide the most important bits. And so they do things like that really well. Hmm. Same with politics. I mean, even if you think about January 6th and things like that and how convoluted it has been to try to look back at the past election and all that, there's just some new thing coming out every week, this allows for the dust to settle and say, actually, this was true. This wasn't true. And so you just get provided the most important pieces of the story that have had some time to be fact checked, if that's the right way to say it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I think about getting the most important piece of the story, I think sometimes about how anxious, and you talked about it, the new cycle makes me mm-hmm. um, mm. because there's just always something new. There's always something different, um, different pieces of information that may not always are telling the same perspective, the same story. Right. And just the ability to say these are the most important pieces that you really need to pay attention to. And you're you're not gonna be any worse off for not knowing those other pieces. And exactly. I think that can be some of what people feel today is that I have to know every piece of information that comes across the news feed because everything's important. It's like actually it's not.
3: That's
2: right.
0: Um, and letting people who are skilled. At trying to pull those pieces apart, do that for us instead of us trying to do it for ourselves.
2: Yep. Yeah. I wonder if there's another layer of that that uh, segues into a a movie that I just recently watched that I've been super intrigued with called Blackberry. Uh, It came out earlier in May, but it's basically it's a it's movie form. And it also has like some documentary tendencies. It's kind of like if you've seen Air, it's made in a similar way. Um, but one of the things that was really fascinating, there's, there's a scene where, so you got like the, you know, what do you want to call it? Like garage band kind of, uh, tech guys that are building new things and they are, you know, trying to do their thing. It's like a group of friends. They're playing games all the time, but it's just this, you get this very, like it's levity kind of, um, free thing. And then this guy comes in who's like super like business oriented. He does help them get off the ground. But you kind of see the moment in the movie where, like, the tension builds. So, like, the uh, the one guy's talking about, like, why they don't need to make this move or why they should. And he was fixated on this, like, intercom the guy had that was always buzzing. And he was like, you know, it was made poorly. It was just thrown together. And now every office building everywhere has this, you know, terrible hiss. And he's like, I don't want to do stuff like that. Like, if I'm going to build something, it's going to be perfect and it's going to be good. And then we'll present it. And then the business guy's like, well, haven't you ever heard the saying that like perfection is the biggest enemy of good enough? And he's like, yeah, well, good enough is the biggest enemy of humanity. Then he mm. like walks out of the room. Um, but you get this like what continually happens and where they ultimately fall, right? They rise because they are like thinking about how does this interface with humanity? mm um, and the business guy is thinking about how do I solve this business problem? And so slowly as the movie goes on, it dwindles less and less about the product and people, and it's more about the product and its performance in the market. And, well, we'll change the towers, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and right. we'll do that. And then eventually it just it gets edged out by Apple, who's, what are they thinking about? The product and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting how like that, you take that cycle And how that's affected Any kind of Like even as I was listening To you talk about Like with newspaper It's like Well why are you Why push all these stories So far It was like Part of it is like You gotta feed the beast And it's yep. like We need views We need attention We need So just put it out It may not be the best article But people are looking For what's hot So you can just mm-hmm. You could see how that kind of um, Tension can build up And it, it really made me Think through Kind of um, How that That shift Even starting back I mean that Blackberry is antiquated at this point. When
0: did Blackberry fall off? Like Apple. When? Oh man. Was it like? Because I every so often I will still see somebody pull something out and mm-hmm. I'll be like, "Do they still make those?"
3: Yeah, yeah. It's still a company. I think. Yeah. It's still around, but um, in a very limited way. I think okay. they focus on different pieces of technology. But basically, once the iPhone came out, it was already kind of hitting. You okay. know, but once the iPhone came out, it went in decline. They tried to um. Uh, do a touchscreen, and it just failed.
2: Yeah. So Yeah, it was didn't didn't land very well. Um, but it just it, it, it's interesting thinking about how that problem I think has continued to be a problem as we continue to see tech unfold and people leaving companies like, hey, I thought that we were gonna be about this. You see that same thing of like these tech geniuses or like in the beginning it was about like, you know, trying to do this and it seemed pure and we we're doing all and then I started to see what it was doing to people and Like, I couldn't do that anymore. And it's just, I don't know. That's a, you know, I'm pretty pessimistic when it comes to some (laughs) technology. And so it's just, I always find those stories fascinating. Of like, look at the people who made it, who Mm -hmm. are like looking at this and they're like, this is becoming something that you you never intended it to be.
3: You also have the issue, and I mean, you talked about feeding the beast, but it's like the other thing that happens, and this is a cynical view, so I don't want to just say it, but there's also this thing where... Once you start feeding the beast, you you have actually have to start creating fake needs in people that then you're the only one who can fill, right? Yes. And yes. so I think about Apple and the first iPhone and there was like some real interesting opportunity there, of course. But most think about it now, most of the products now is like the new iPhones, it's not, there's not really any new development. So now it's like, you need a phone that takes perfect pictures. It's like, most of us don't need that phone, but we all feel like we need it. Why? Cause they're geniuses at marketing, you know? So now we're caught in the cycle of constantly buying new crap we don't need, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same thing, and, and you know, on the one side, that's sort of nefarious. It's like, oh man, that's not cool in terms of product development, but where that gets dangerous is like with media. And so mm-hmm. now the different – like a, a little bit of what we're talking about is like in media now, they are trying to create a need in people are trying to create this false sense of like we have to get ahead of the game. So what's the best way we can create this twenty a 24-hour news cycle is an example of that. We have to – create drama where drama doesn't exist. So now mm-hmm. we have clickbait headlines, right? We have to create a way now that you're constantly engaging with your phone. Why? Because we have, to, we have to have people never putting their phone down. I mean, whether it's a stated goal or not, the goal of your tech company is that you are, you will never disconnect. That's the actual goal because that's how they're yeah. going to make money off you. It's it really interesting, like a phone game, right? My, I let my kids play a couple different phone games and we've i've totally stopped that because what they are like we're old enough to know like okay this game is totally created so I'll, that i'll buy those in-game purchases you get mm-hmm. to a point in like a phone game where it's like unless i buy the vip pass i can't you can go only to play like level. five minutes yeah a it's day. like <laughs> yeah it doesn't work where my kids will be like dad i have to buy this thing and i'm, I'm like, like it's del- delete yeah it's like hey and so this the conversation we've had is like hey they're actually designed this game for you, bud. And the reason, what they want you to do is feel like you have to buy this thing. And they did it really perfectly, didn't they? And it's like, yeah. And then after about two days of not having that game anymore, guess what? They're happier because they weren't addicted to a screen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I I just think there's actually a little bit, whether stated or not, what's underneath it is like a little more harmful or nefarious, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean... At the end There are many factors um, to why people do those things, but I think you mentioned, to me, the biggest one, which is just money. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. about online and how do I stay in the game? How do I beat my competition? And the ways in which people will basically exploit other humans Um, in order to have a stronger bottom line. I think that's the point of tension that people come to in these technology companies is if I want to not just do good things but be the best,
1: Mm -hmm. then
0: I'm going to have to make a decision about how I'm going to produce this product in a way that actually might not be solving the problems for my consumer, but just creating problems that allow me to solve, like you said, and then I get paid for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, I think, it's sad to see, you know, the numerous documentaries I think we've all watched about people who were at the forefront and got off the bus because, like, this isn't beautiful anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, they're creatives, and they want it in their own way to create this technological art, and it just becomes co-opted for the sake of, um, economic gain, which is really sad. Um, and so I think the question is, like, how... for those aspiring to that place, like, how do we resist those type of things? Like, Mm -hmm. it's... do you all see, you know, folks who are choosing not to buy into some of that stuff, um in the products that you use or kind of things you listen to are there examples of folks who are pushing back against that dynamic
2: yeah um there's a so there's like a whole specifically in like the tech world um oh man how do you say that dude's last name it's like C- C- Texas i can't pronounce it correctly but he what i love about him he's a he's read like um jockey lul and Mm -hmm. um a lot of i've mentioned him like a long time ago on the show but a lot of these guys who are thinking about how technology does create it it has this like insatiable um desire for to consume more and more right so you need the iphone 13 then the 14 then the 14s and it's just ongoing and part of it is, like, um, they do a lot – he does a lot of uh, – he has a – what do you call it? A substack that you can subscribe to. And he just writes these articles of, like, w- taking the time to stop and consider what these things are actually doing. Are they adding or taking away from human flourishing? And then how can we – write? It's almost like um, what we talked about before on the show of, like, there is a – it's not just – again, I could be pessimistic, but it's, like, it's not just that all tech is bad but thinking about how um, how am I interfacing with it and is this moving me towards flourishing or not? And then maybe society doesn't, but how do I set up parameters in my own life um, so that I'm not just constantly um, being consumed by this thing in whatever form it, it approaches it? It's hard,
3: man. It, it's actually really hard. I'm fairly cynical about it. Um, I think even even if you think about us, it's one thing. Like I'm an I'm an old head now, you know, it's like and so I sound like an old person when I'm like, you know, don't look at social media. Everyone's like, cool, (laughs) 70 year old or whatever, you know. (laughs) But um, like if you look at the next generation, they're the ones who are gonna suffer for this big time, way more than we ever would. I mean, I I really do think it's the people I know who are doing this well, it's fairly radical. It's like hey, I personally am gonna buy this box and there's companies out there and when I get home from work my phone goes in a box I don't look at it all night that's it I have it on me during work hours for this purpose only you know people who are taking radical steps away from social media it doesn't mean you never consume it but it's like hey you probably need to every couple months just take a month off and delete it from your phone like like challenge yourself to be uncomfortable because I think what's happening is it's not just that you're looking at your phone it's that now the way that you interact with the world is doom scrolling the way that you're gonna st- we're gonna start interacting with the world is we're not gonna write anymore things are gonna write it for us uh, we're not gonna create our own pictures anymore. there's gonna be an AI thing that does all the work of editing your photo for you you know the, whoever edits podcasts I just saw a thing the other day there's a whole AI program it'll edit the whole podcast for you and it does it really well movies, books all that it's all gonna be created like you become more of like a an editor than you do a creative. And so I think, like, I th- here's what I'm saying. I think there are going to be cultures or societies that are existing that are going to look super weird. Like the people we look at now, no offense to those of you who are like, I'm going to homestead in Alaska. And you're like, whoa, that's nuts. You know, you move out there off the grid. The person who's like, I refuse to use AI is going to look like the homesteader in Alaska. The person who's like, I'm not going to be on social media or I'm not going to let my kids have a phone until they're 16 or something like that. They're going to, Their kids are going to suffer. Like you, you, I I know this sounds crazy, but it's like it's not that you're like, yeah, I'm this principled thing. You're going to have to watch your kids be out of the loop. You're going to have to watch your. If you say to my kid, you can't have a phone until you're 16 and you start driving or whatever, it's like they're going to come home in seventh and eighth grade and be like, all I don't know anything going on because my kids are texting. Fourth or fifth grade. Fourth or fifth grade (laughs) happens now. It depends on where you're at, but that's the kind of thing I'm saying. That's why I'm cynical about it. Is because it's like, do we have a stamina? for suffering uh you're gonna have to because what it's gonna mean to not participate in this is is going to feel like real loss uh, and then it's also gonna make you, like, a really great person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like how you just came and yeah. swung that back at the end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an opportunity, right? Because, and you talked about it, Samarcus, this idea of, is this producing human flourishing? And that's language that I have seen kind of rise to popularity in the last few years of people asking big questions, both believers and non-believers, about and what will lead me to the good life. And as Christians, we believe the good life comes through the biblical worldview. And so we're created to be creators, not consumers. And there's I think we will get to the place where people are doing all the things and letting AI create all the things, and it will be so unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in being different, because throughout history, that has been the kind of the evangelistic draw of the church is that. You all seem to have a lot of life in your community, but you're completely different than the rest of mm-hmm. us. Um and I think even though we will stand out and it will be difficult that there'll be an opportunity for us to speak life to those folks who have all the things and are completely dissatisfied with them because they were never made to satisfy. Yeah. All right. So, I have been reading just finished Russell Moore's new book, um Losing My Religion, and I really like Russell Moore. I do too. As a person, he he has some great ideas in this book. I... Friend of the show.
3: <laughs> He's been on a couple of times. <laughs>
0: He's been on. I, I like how you're kind of teeing me up. I am for trying. My... <laughs> I'm, I'm setting that clip up you even higher.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is what I will say, right? I think what he presents in the book are things that I was, And I read it with a friend. Um, and she's like, man, I wish this had been able to be... There's so much more here. Mm. I wish it had been like a podcast episode, kind of what he uh, the folks did with the Mars Hill thing. And so, like, you could hear the stories and the voices of the people that he quotes or he's referring to in the book. Um, And so, to me, I'm interested to see where he will be at in a couple of years Mm. with the same ideas that he's presented in this book. I think it's cool. You think it's like a starting place? Is I that what you're saying? It's a starting place. Yeah. You know, and we learn what he believes and mm. how it connects to his everyday life. You know?
2: I, I, even think, I even think you just spoke the title to your article right there. There's you know? so much more here. There's
0: so much more hmm. here. Russell Moore has had an experience that is so complex. Man. And full of just, I think the points of reflection on evangelicalism, on who we are as a people, but also the years and decades before kind of the point in history that he talks about that got us to where we're at. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think people should read it. It's it is I think a good point of reflection. I just want to be able to de- dive deeper into what he's saying, yeah, and to go slower. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how he uses that to produce more content in the years to come.
2: It's good hearing you describe it. I feel like there is that press. Of like there though that kind of idea is something that you could write five six books about. In the tension though is that you need to write it fast because people need to talk about it now, and a lot of people don't have the like uh, what do you want to call it the stay with it yeah for yeah for the volume. So you end up writing or even you get people that do write a book that's it's like that's five hundred pages. All right, well I'll write another one that's. 100 pages, but it's like, man, can you really like cram the thought need, like the ideas needed for that kind of thing? I feel like that's always a, a difficulty with yeah. literature today.
0: I mean, it, it is... Uh, every chapter could have been a book.
2: It could have been a book, I'm sure. It could have yeah. been a book.
0: Um, yeah, and I think the the writing tension of just from, because as I hear people talk about kind of just the publication process and just... Like they get behind the veil Mm. and they're like, oh, (laughs) I didn't realize this is also an entity that seeks to make a dollar Mm -hmm. Um, and just how the tensions of the decisions people have to make and not saying this is what Russell Moore went through, but why people don't produce the full work and Mm. produce a kind of condensed work when we would have benefited from the
3: the full full
2: work. work. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. But
0: you read a condensed work, didn't you, Tamarcus?
2: I did read a condensed work. Look at that segue. Man, we're mastering the segues around here. Um, <laughs> I read um, A Strange New World by Carl Truman. And it is the, yeah, the abbreviated version of his Rising Triumph of the Modern Self. And again, there's so much there. Obviously, he wrote a bigger book about all the ideas. Um, and so rather than belabor that, I think a point that has been twirling in my mind a lot, and this kind of goes to some other things we were talking about, is he he's talking about um you know expressive individualism at large and kind of the ramifications of it throughout the book uh, but one of the things he said early on that stuck with me was talking about how that has shifted the way we re- as humans relate to institutions and how largely and throughout you know antiquity those were the family church um you know whatever it is community that stood as places that Helped shape us. They were understood as things that form us into whatever the ideas of the particular community, society, etc. And now, through expressive individualism, how we chiefly see and we see institutions is a uh, a thing that that needs to conform. Um, and so it it ends up. It gave me a, a a better lens for trying to think through a lot of the ways that like movements or reforms happen now that sound like movements and reforms of old but it's not, but we're using the same language. And it's like, man, what's happening here? And it's like, part of what he points to is the difference is like, then there was this like transcendent reality truth, right? Objective truth that the in, the institutions themselves as well as us had to submit to. But in this new frame, it's like, actually the the transcendent truth that everything needs to submit to is the self. And so I now operate in institutions, looking for them to conform and affirm, uh, rather than uh, opening myself to be shaped by them. And obviously, that has huge impl- implications for how people relate to church and how they um, sit under leadership. And um, even just, yeah, just thinking, thinking through for myself, like how how that could um, the dangers of that. And obviously, there is a there is a good way to hold institutions accountable. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. Um, but also just being leery of like, man, what does it look like when um, the things that God has put into our lives to help form and to shape us, uh, marriage even, right, that we see it as a thing that needs to conform to our needs and wants rather than something that is a part of our sanctification that's forming us. And so, I don't know, um, it, it's it been really fascinating.
3: Yeah, I hope we actually get to come back to that idea with a little more— um uh, we can explore that a little bit more, yeah. and I'm hoping that we can get Carl, if you're listening, Doctor Truman, on the show. If you know him and he's a friend of yours, please tell him. I got lots of thoughts about what you
0: said, to Marcus, but like Adam said, hopefully we can delve deeper because I think it's just fascinating the world that that creates. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this idea that um, what's inside of me I need to protect and don't need to reform; that it's not broken, mm. um, and you outside of me are trying to mm. not allow me to be who I am. Uh, and so everything just needs to conform to me instead of me needing to conform to a greater reality of truth uh, that talks about communal living in the society that all of us create together. Because uh, it just, yeah, I was talking to a friend yesterday, just even about the classroom and just how the difference in the of being able to impart knowledge and information to the next generation in kind of an educational environment where they're like, that's cool. That's a perspective, but I got a perspective, too. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, but
2: and that's yeah. just it. Yeah, it's like when sin isn't what's wrong with humanity, the society that humans live in is what's wrong with humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's like no, 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 no. Like our Bibles, our Bibles tell the truth. Um, It's us. Mm-hmm. It's that's good time.
0: Clip that. Make that the little video for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right, Melissa, you. Have kind of this uh, I think it's a, is it a podcast, you it's listening a podcast. To? It's you're listening podcast you listening to. And I think, as we were talking about it before we hopped on, what is interesting is how this podcast made you reflect upon the ways in which maybe Christians don't do some things as well as they should. So can you let us know what you were listening to and kind of some of those reflections you had?
1: Yeah, so Tara Lipinski, 1998 gold medalist. Right, Figure dude. skating, huh? yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh She recently just came out with a podcast called Unexpecting and basically revealed to everybody that she has been struggling with uh, infertility for five years. And so, and as you listen to the podcast, not even some of her closest friends knew. And just a little brief snip of my story and why this might be uh, helpful to me is uh, about two years ago, my son died in my belly when I was eight months old. I've had two miscarriages over your infertility, gone through IVF and also failed um, an IVF transfer. And so I heard of this podcast coming out and part of me was like, I don't think I can listen to that, you know, um, just being so in the middle of my own journey and struggle and grief. Um, And I started listening to it. And as I was listening to it, you know, I'm driving in the car. I'm crying for her. I'm crying for myself. I'm like pausing before I walk into work, you know. And it was, it was really helpful in a way that a lot of um, conversations with Christians have not been helpful. And I was, I'm wondering why, why, why is this? And there are so many reasons. One of the things that I think was at least helpful for me is, um, Hard is just hard. Mm -hmm. Mad is just mad. And I tend to be a perfectionist. And I mean, I remember asking my pastors soon after my son died, like, how do I grieve right and like well before the Lord? And um, that's always just been a desire of my heart. And so when you think you take grieving well and then mad or sad or bad, and I just always wanted to baptize anger in Christianity. Uh, But anger just actually feels mad. And we all know what we feel like when we get angry. And so there was a way that um, her just being a human in her suffering uh, was just so, so helpful and even healing in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, that— That hasn't been helpful with Christians. I think sometimes, too, in a Christian space, so often we hear um, what the Christian learned five years after they're out of their journey. It's like, hey, I struggled with this thing for five years, for 10 years, and now looking back, this is what I've learned. And I have found myself just in the last two and a half years being so hungry and thirsty for what does it look like to be in the middle of something so hard? And how do I be a Christian in the middle of the hard, the sad, the mad, and bad, and do that? When knowing mad looks like mad, does that make sense?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was thinking we were talking about it earlier, um, and this is like this is kind of half baked, but um, just because you were saying part of it was like it, it can feel like the right the broader culture has this ability to like tarry sometimes longer, right? A, mm-hmm. a le- letting you kind of sit in it, and it made me think. I'm like, man, uh, it feels as though like in in our faith. In Christ, we have more tools to be able to long suffer alongside one another because um, there there can be like a aimlessness to mm-hmm. long suffering uh, in that way apart from Christ. Um, but actually, with the full knowledge, like it made me think of Jesus, and it's like his whole life he knew what was what was coming, and it, you know I think about before the cross and the uh, being in the garden and the. The pain and the tear, and it's like he knows full and well. Mm-hmm. Like as much as we, as much as we know and believe and have faith in what is to come, like it's like he has full knowledge of what is to come, and yet and still, sad was sad, and he didn't know, want it. He, and he <laughs> is didn't there want another it. way. Yeah, it was like is there another. He knows there's not another way, but it's like, but is it? Great. Right. We sure. Okay, cool. Um, but it's like look, looking at that picture, it's like how much more than can we walk with one another in patience because Mm -hmm. we know the end? And it's like, hey, we, I know this isn't forever. It may, but it may be longer than today. It might be longer than a week. It might be longer than a few months, but we both know where this ends. And so like we can, we can take the time it takes to get there. I think that's, it made me think of my counselor too. She said, it takes as long as it takes. And I was like, okay. I appreciate that. I don't it's, like that answer, but uh, <laughs> but it but it's helpful. It's yeah. helpful.
3: It's interesting as you guys talk. A couple of things I'm picking up on is there there's a a few things. And I think back to like our our podcast with Adam Young. A little mm. bit as well. But there are principles, even as you're talking, that are that I don't want us to assume. And yeah. so but the first thing I want to say is somebody who's gotten to bear witness, Melissa, to your suffering, you um, have just been really faithful to, mm-hmm. to grieve, ask questions, to be open, um, to receive, to push back to do all the things. And, um, you know, I, I want to stray away from saying like you did it right because of what you, we were just articulating, but what you have done is you've done it faithfully. Um, and, uh, as somebody who gets to witness a lot of people go through things, um, you've been really faithful in it. I think, um, one thing, uh, that is interesting about what we just said is what did Jesus do when you just said he didn't want it? Who was he talking to? He was talking to God. God. He was talking to God. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's a principle there when you talk about doing mad, sad, glad, afraid. When you talk about it, it's like, and I don't want to pressurize it by saying there's a right way to do it, but I do think there are ways we can learn to do it that lead to flourishing or even joy in the midst of suffering. And when, when that is done from an authentic place as a helper, I'm talking about as a helper now, when you are trying to help somebody mimic the good and right things that Jesus did on the way to suffering or when he was suffering, I think that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like this, hey, I think just talking to God and being honest with him about how you feel is okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Or, hey, don't do it alone. Just don't isolate. The devil wants you to isolate. We know that. Don't do it alone. Talk to God. Talk to other people, right? So I think there's other principles that we can take from what we, how we've seen Jesus suffer. Hey, don't forget your future hope. that's tricky. But saying you just said that, Hey, we know how this ends, right? Don't forget your future hope. Don't forget. I'm not going to offer you what the reasons are, but remember it's not, you're not staring into an abyss. You're in the middle of a story and it's hard to see everything, but remember that. You know, I think those things can be really helpful. I think what's so hard, and we were talking about this earlier, is often what Christians do is they feel—I think anybody, not just Christians, but I do think Christians in particular— they feel uncomfortable with your suffering. And they want to rush you. And so they want to rush you, but it's not about you. It's about relieving the pain in them. In them. yep. And I think we all do this. I want to be very careful because we all do this. We've yeah. all been caught in that situation mm-hmm. where somebody says something and you're like, oh, I don't like this. And so, you know, you've got three options. One is like try to solve it for them, get out of it as quickly as possible, or freeze, you know? And we've all done various versions of that. Mm-hmm. And I think remembering, and maybe Melissa, you could jump in here, but I think remembering's sometimes maybe the least harmful one of that is freezing. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, right. I think sometimes it's like, hey, there these conversations I think acknowledging in you these conversations can bring something up. And it's like, hey, you know what the best thing is to do? Maybe just learn to sit with that a little bit. Right. Well speak to that maybe.
1: Well, the things that you had just said would have been and would be so comforting and calming to me um helpful to me in right. suffering it's it's the it's the christian platitudes it's the rushing yes. it's the hey, my son died three months ago. I don't need to be reminded today right now that this is for my good and his glory. You <laughs> right, know, this does right. not feel good. <laughs> right. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was talking with a friend. There's actually two things I want to think about and talk about really fast is one, um, Psalm 13, right? Um, so David's writing Psalm 13 and how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And I don't mm. know what he was using to write. I don't know where he was. Sure. To me, I think about if I'm writing this Psalm, I'm staring at the notebook for two years. Mm -hmm. That's where I am in my suffering. I am, and I've been talking to a friend about this too, I feel like as I'm learning what it means to be a Christian and doing mad and sad, glad, afraid, all of those things, um, I'm learning what it means to have an honest conversation with God about Mm. that. And so part of that has been I'm staring at this notebook for two years. Then I write the first line, and I'm crying for a year writing this first line. You know, how long did it take for Mm -hmm. him to get to the, but God, part. Um, there's also um, this children's book, and it reminded me of what you were talking about too, Adam. It's called The Rabbit Listens, and this little boy, he built a tower. It's this very special tower, and it's terrible. It gets knocked over, and these different animals come alongside um, to help him in his heart. Um, the, this uh, bear comes, he wants to be mad about it, An elephant comes, he wants to forget about it. Other animals, they want to laugh, move forward, um, and none of it's helping. And then this little rabbit comes and just sits next to this little boy and he listens. And then it goes through all of the different emotions that the animals were going, but the rabbit listened when the boy was mad and when the boy wanted to talk about it and when he wanted to forget about it. And I do just think that there's a way that we can, as Christians, because we want to fix it, we feel the need to almost play the role of the Holy Spirit when, as children of God, we're called to play the role of the rabbit. Um, And to help me remember that in my mad, my bad, my sad, my confused, that God is doing work. And again, to point me to our hope in that and our and the eternal weight of what is actually going on, um. And not to rush me through that, not to put these Christian platitudes, but what it means to actually sit and to listen, to get curious, to ask questions, and to not get me out of what—I'm thankful you're uncomfortable with this, because I also am uncomfortable with how Mm -hmm. much this hurts right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But pushing me past it doesn't actually bring me nearer to God. It's, It's actually making me forget. And I need to work through these things to strengthen my faith, to really understand that this God of the gospel, he also loves me just as much right now when I'm confused and mad toward him as he did before all of this happened mm. and I wasn't.
2: Mm. That's really good. Yeah. I like I like giving the category of like the principles. If mm-hmm. I could add one in the form of a question. I think one of the something that I often think about too is like, I wonder if if sometimes in the we could be more choice in some of the texts that we use to encourage people in particular moments. Cause I think I think there is a um, a lot that could be done, and maybe maybe this is just me, so this is where the question comes in with mm-hmm. all of you guys. I find um, something that is encouraging, um, and I want to be careful, because, it. I mean, it is specific to, I think it helps us gauge when we're having these conversations with God, of gauging our emotions in terms of, like, reality and the way things are. But it's, like, where God, like, where I'm, like, I'm angry at this, and I feel some kind of way about it, and being reminded like that angers God too, so it's like, or like, man, like death, this this is terrible, and it's like, yeah, God doesn't like death either, um, right? And um, there's there's just so many passages of um, of scripture. Like I'm even thinking in this regard, like in um, Isaiah, he you know he's gives this whole spiel of um, th- things that are going wrong um, in society and how God's gonna you know he's gonna make it right. And one of the things that he lists out specifically says, never again will there be in it an, an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who not who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought uh, a mere child and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. Like there's this this picture in which it's like, man, yeah, like this, the loss of life, young or old, whatever, like it's bad. And like it's not, that's not the way things were meant to be. And one day it won't be like that. Mm-hmm. Um And so it it, it goes back to the principle of, like, part of looking at, part of knowing our future hope is realizing that this thing that is causing us pain and suffering now isn't good. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's it's right to grieve things that aren't good. It's one thing if we're, like, rejoicing in things that are evil or if we're grieving things that are good. But when our hearts are actually aligned with God and it's like, oh, the things that make God weep makes me weep. The things that give God joy gives me joy. Like, that is a... There's like It's almost like there's an encouragement of like you, sh- you should and like it's a right thing to feel this way about. Does when you sense? were
1: talking, what I just started thinking about is I think where the pain or maybe the not to say is come in is when you try to give an answer that God hasn't given. Mm-hmm. And to sit with me in this mystery and this brokenness of the world. I am feeling how broken this world, it, like quite literally death is the ultimate brokenness of yeah. this world. It is the punishment for sin. Right. And it's, um, you don't know why God allowed this. You right. don't know right. where we're going from here. You don't know what good will come. And yes, it sometimes it absolutely is good and right to reminded that he is doing those things. But m- what is often most helpful is just to sit and remind me, he hates this too. Yeah. I hate this with you. God hates this mm-hmm. with you. This is the very reason he sent Jesus mm-hmm. to die, is because you held your dead son. This is the reality mm-hmm. of this broken world, mm-hmm. not just because of me. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, in that moment. Yeah. yeah. I think, tell me what you guys think about this, because I've thought about this a lot. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, a time for everything. Mm-hmm. And I think this is true. And I'm again, I'm talking to both carers and those being cared for a time to be born a time to die a time to plan a time to pluck a time to kill a time to heal a time to break down a time to build up a time to weep a time to laugh a time to mourn a time to dance on and on you can go i think what a person needs in their suffering actually changes and um over time and in the midst of it there are times where in my grief and suffering. If I'm in the middle of a panic attack, I don't need to hear, trust God. Why aren't you trusting God? I need reassurance. So that's what I need in that moment. There's times where I am in low-level anxiety where I'm not trusting God, and I need a friend to help me remember, trust God right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm hearing a lot of negative, and I'm hearing a lot of um, Mm -hmm. catastrophizing. That's not true. Mm -mm. So I need a challenge. Mm -hmm. There's a time where I just need to laugh. I need to be with somebody, and I just need to laugh. There's a time where I need to sleep. There's a time where I need to cry. And I think in all of that, yep. as a carer, what you have to have done is earn that place yep. with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, Melissa, to your point and what you're saying, and, and please push back if I'm wrong, is there's a lot of people who maybe mistake the place they, they have in your life or... um They haven't earned a place to speak, and they start offering solutions. And so as a carer, maybe the best thing you can remember is, or ask yourself this question, and it's hard when you're in the midst of it, but sometimes you know these are coming. Sometimes you know somebody's hurting, and you're like, okay, I'm going to talk to them today, is ask yourself the question, do I have the sort of relationship where I know them well enough to know the needs they have? And if the answer is no, be the rabbit. You yeah. Know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. It's just, yeah, yeah. And, and probably most mm-hmm. of the time, the answer is going to be no, yeah, unless it's a close friend, your child, your spouse, your whatever, or unless you've taken the time to get to know that person and be the rabbit for a really long time, mm-hmm. so you, you know whether okay, is this the type of mad that needs mad with, or is this the type of mad that needs direction, you right. know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think. Yeah, I think so Some often puts. the failure yeah. is, is that. Does that it's make It's the sense? drive-by care. Yeah, it's a drive-by care. Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: that yeah. doesn't take that into consideration. Yeah, yeah. It's good.
0: And I think sometimes people feel the pressure of wanting to do something. Yes. They're like, hey, I love this person. I want to do something. And partly because we are not well acquainted with languishing and suffering, that we just don't have the muscles or the skills. Right. Um, but it, I think there, for many, it is a good desire. Like, I want to show up. I want to say something encouraging. And it just is a lot of times what is needed is your presence and not your words. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time, I think the person who is in the valley offers you the opportunity to kind of play off of them um, in terms of what they need and to let them lead and not us lead just because we want to satisfy the discomfort that we have.
2: Yep. Most of the time what they need is your prayers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: They need Jesus.
2: They need your Mm -hmm. prayers.
0: And what you've heard us do um, for the last maybe— 45 minutes, hour, so I don't know how long we've been here. It's been a good conversation. Um is we are engaging with culture and seeing how it points us to a biblical worldview, mm. right? How it makes us understand our journeys, how it makes us realize, man, I need hope for truth, and that truth comes from the Lord. Like I don't need yes. to consume everything that comes my way, that I will be okay if I don't have every piece of information available to me. Um, hope for the reality that I need to point my way towards flourishing, and there are systems and people who are out here who aren't for my flourishing. Mm. And so so as I am engaging and consuming culture, am I doing that attentively or am I doing that passively and allowing people to take from me what the Lord wants to belong to him? Mm-hmm. Um, I think even in the ways in which we want hope for redemption, we want hope for healing and how we know as Christians that we have ultimate healing when Christ returns and we're in glorified bodies and a new heavens and a new earth. Um, but the point between now and then, Man, sometimes we need to have patience in the journey of being in the valley Mm. and being in the valley with people and giving our presence and giving a listening ear, because for all of these, the answer and the solution is in Christ. What we need, what we long for is in Christ. And so we encourage you as you are reading, as you are scrolling on social media, as you are listening to a podcast, or you listening to music? Think about how does this point me to the truth of the gospel, the flourishing that I need, what I desire the most only comes through Christ. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from The Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests and ways to support their work. See y'all next time.